0: did not have again. it on that one i apologize no to I, ears. I i i had to do a brrr at the end I, I lost it for a minute there <laughs> yeah. we're, we're good we got this we're mark's madness pod hello we read books how are we you read books
1: i have i have a reading we voice. Read still. that's good singing was gone but i have a reading voice
0: still. oh yeah your reading voice better be there maybe because we got another <laughs> episode for you we're recording two we're episodes this again. week doing it again that being said david any current events in the last hour and a half
1: Mm, if there are i didn't get the feed yet
0: all right well then we are starting as we always do with black reconstruction in america page 425 First paragraph, Major F.F. F. Worley said the same year, I scorn the idea that the rich man and his glory and the mighty man and his power may indulge in crime with impunity and be passed by the world with a smile of recognition while the poor tool he uses is consigned to prison and made to a, the associate of felons. If I have displayed zeal and ardor in this exposure of fraud and vice, it is because I would save the state, not from ignorant and corrupt legislatures so much as from rich, aspiring and unprincipled men. Some of them imported, it is true, but many of them degenerate and unworthy sons of that noble, though now impoverished mother whom they rob.
1: That that, that feels very evergreen, but it also is... is uh, a little bit poignant because he's very obviously talking about planters and, and fuck planters.
0: Yep, 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 yep. There was then without doubt theft and incompetence in the government of South Carolina during Reconstruction times. But there is good ground for saying that this was no more due to the northern white men than to native southerners. And least of all was it guilt of Negroes. Moreover, in method and amount, it was no worse than the same kind of stealing in, in northern states and even in the United States government. Government itself. If we allow for depreciated currency and for monies which the state did not actually receive and did not spend, but for which it may have been legally responsible, South Carolina doubled its debt between 1865 and 1871. But it more than doubled its social responsibilities. That the proceeds of debt thus accumulated were not spent wholly to meet these social demands is undoubtedly true, but it is also true that every cent which South Carolina raised in Reconstruction times and much more was needed for the uplift of its laboring classes. It is interesting to note that 17 million of the South Carolina debt or almost the exact amount of its probable increase over 1865 was eventually repudiated by the state and the property of the state thus put itself on record as refusing to recognize its obligation to pay the expense even of necessary reconstruction. And at the same time, it had the satisfaction of spoiling the Egyptians in the northern money market. I, I, I have no idea what the Egyptians... Yeah, it's... Why did the I Egyptians come into play here? <laughs>
1: I don't... I have no I have, idea. I have no idea what Egyptians as an expression would even mean. That I think it's with the literal money? Egyptians.
0: I think it's literally people from Egypt. Oh. Why specifically I don't them? Know why they were trying to get in the northern money market. What was happening in Egypt in 1865? I don't know. Two sorts of reform face the state. First, the elimination of theft and waste in the handling of public funds. And secondly, the continuation of the efforts for social uplift in land distribution institutions for social reform, educational equipment, and modern labor legislation. With the last category of the, the reformers would have nothing to do. What they meant by reform was lower taxes. <laughs> of course they did. Of course they did. And this Chamberlain gave to them. Man, I shouldn't laugh that hard, but it's so hard not to. Oh, uh, it's just it's just easy. Easy. so Would you deal
1: with the same assholes in the modern day? They just It's just like they weren't they weren't being genuine. They were being assholes and you're like, "I know those assholes."
0: I know those four assholes. It is easy to prove that this is part of the effort to reform the situation in South Carolina had the earnest effort of both white and black men and resulted in distinct advance. It was overthrown at just the time when there was every reason to think that reform would be triumphant, not simply in honest government, but in more efficient social uplift. No one has expressed this more convincingly than a Negro who was himself a member of the Reconstruction Legislature of South Carolina and who spoke at the convention which disenfranchised him in 1895 against one of the onslaughts of Tillman, the gentleman from Edgefield. Mr. Tillman speaks of the piling up of the state debt, of jobbery and peculation during the period between 1869 and 1873 in South Carolina, but he has not found voice eloquent enough nor pen exact enough to mention those imperishable gifts bestowed upon South Carolina between 1873 and 1876 by Negro legislatures. The laws relative to finance, the building of penal and charitable institutions, and greatest of all, the establishment of the public school system. Starting as infants in legislation in 1869, many wise measures were not thought of, many injudicious acts – holy cow, that word sucks – (laughs) injudicious acts were passed. But in the administration of affairs for the next four years, having learned by experience the result of bad acts, we immediately passed reformatory laws – touching every department of state county municipal and town governments these enactments were today upon the statute books of south carolina and they stand as living witness of the Negro's fitness to vote and legislate upon the rights of mankind david what you want to yeah, take it away?
1: yeah i was gonna say after you just had to do injudicious um
0: injudicious is an mean. easy word that i could not say for a minute and a half it's not a fun one um it makes it fun, makes my word.
1: mouth want to go numb uh, when we came into power, town governments could lend credit for their of their respective towns to secure funds at any rate of interest that the council saw fit to pay. Some of the towns paid as high as 20%. That is ridiculous, by the way, folks. Uh, we passed an act prohibiting town governments from pledging the credit of their hamlets for money bearing a greater rate of interest than 5%. Up to 1864, inclusive the state treasurer had the power to pay out state funds as he pleased. He could elect whether he would pay out the funds on appropriations that would place the money in the hands of the speculators or would apply them to appropriations that were honest and necessary. We saw the evil of this and passed an act making specific levies and collections of taxes for specific appropriations. Another source of profligacy – uh, sounds right. In the expenditure of funds was law, and that provided for and empowered the levying and collecting of special taxes by school districts in the name of schools. We saw its evil, and by a constitutional amendment, it provided that there should be no, on, there should only be levied and collected annually a tax of two mills for school purposes, and took away from the school districts the power to levy and to collect taxes of any kind. By this act, we cured the evils that would be inflicted upon its name of the schools and settled the public school question for all time to come. Established a system upon an honest uh, and financial, oops, an honest financial basis. I also just like this. Like when I came to power, there was this. We saw its evil, and it was eradicated. When I found this power, it, it just seems like some shit out of the Bible. Next we learned during the period from 1869 to 1874, inclusive that was do- nominated in the floating indebted- indebted- indebtedness and covering the printing schemes and other infinite, indefinite ex- expenditures amounted nearly $2 million. A conference was called of the leading Negro represent- representatives in the two house together with the state treasurer, also a Negro. After this conference, we passed an act for the purpose of ascertaining the bona fide floating debt and found that it did not amount to more than $250,000 for the four years. We created a commission to sift that indebtedness and to scale it. Hence, when the Democratic Party came into power, they found the floating debt covering the legislative and all their expenditures fixed at a certain sum of $250,000. The same class of Negro legislatures, led by the state treasurer, Mr. F. L. Cardozo, knowing that there were millions of fraudulent bonds charged against the credit of the state, passed another act to ascertain the true bonded indebtedness and to provide for its settlement. Under this law, at one sweep, those entrusted with the power to do so, though Negro legislatures, stamped six millions of bonds, denominated as conversion bonds fraudulent. This commission did not finish its work. There were still to be exempt to be examined into and settled under the terms of the act passed by us, providing for the legitimate bonded indebtedness of the state and a little over $2.5 million worth of bonds and coupons, which had not been passed upon. Governor Hampton, General Hagood, Judge Symington, Judge Wallace, and, in fact, all of the conservative-thinking Democrats all aligned themselves under the provision enacted by by us for the certain and final settlement of the bonded indebtedness and appealed to their democratic legislatures to stand by the republic legislation on the subject and confirm it a faction in the democratic party obtained a majority of democrats on legislature against settling the question and they endeavored to open up anew the whole subject of the state debt and we had a little over 30 mi- members in the house and enough republican senators to sustain the hampton conservative faction. Faction, And to stand up for honest finance, or by our votes, the place of the debt question in the old state hands of the plunderers and the speculators. We're appealed by General Hagood through me and my answer to him in these words. General, our people have learned the difference between profligate and honest legislation. We have passed acts of reform with the assistance of God when the vote shall shall have been taken you will be able to record for 30 odd negroes slandered though they have been through the through the press that they voted solidly and with you for all the honest legislation and the preservation of the credit of the state 30 odd negroes in the legislature and their senators by their votes did settle the debt question and save the state 13 million dollars jesus christ jesus We were eight years in power. We had built schoolhouses, established charitable institutions, built and maintained the penitentiary system, proved for the education of the deaf and dumb, rebuilt the jails and courthouses, rebuilt the bridges, reestablished the ferries. In short, we had reconstructed the state and placed it upon the road to prosperity and at the same time, by our acts of financial reform, transmitted the Hampton government an indebtedness not greater than by more than $2.5 million that was bonded to the debt of the state in 1868 before Republican Negroes and their white allies came into power. So that was long, that (laughs) was windy, but it was basically saying, you know, of course the state debt would have gone up. They advanced expenditures, but they accomplished a lot. They accomplished a lot that was necessary. And then they just reformed it and fixed it by getting rid of all of the bullshit loans, like all the discretionary funds to, to go, well, you know, I mean, if we build a park here, the state's shit will go up or whatever. Right. And they said, Hey, We're going to set aside a budget, and we're going to vote on the budget. So you can't, as treasurer, just do whatever the hell you want. And then we're going to make sure that you can't just charge us 20% loans and shit like that. They're fixed 5% loans. And you want to talk about corruption. I mean, it just basically sounds like they they eradicated unregulated corruption.
0: Yeah. No, 100%. Yeah. So... (laughs) It seemed fairly clear that what South Carolina wanted was not reform, even in its narrower sense, that what it was attacking was not even stealing and corruption. If there was one thing that South Carolina feared more than bad Negro government, it was good Negro government. In fine dishonesty, I know it's one of the worst sentences I've read. In fine dishonesty, South Carolina was not racial it was not even a matter of lower economic classes, white or black. It was the child of an age of extravagance and characteristic of a state where the mass of voters were poverty stricken and the property holders angry and ruthless in their methods. The fact that the best men of the South, unlike the abolitionists of John Brown's time, poor went out for the best white man ever <laughs> poured. All right. It's out. Uh, we're unwilling to strike openly and trust that the, trust that the end and the future would justify the means is very good evidence that the methods by which Negro rule was overthrown had not as yet been proved to be necessary and therefore were unjustifiable. Goldman Smith said that the statesmanship is in the art of avoiding revolution of the Democrats of Mississippi and South Carolina in 1875 to 1876. One might well say their revolution was the art of avoiding statesmanship. <laughs> beneath the i i i know it's bad <laughs> yeah that's, that's it's very bad beneath the race issue and unconsciously of more fundamental weight was the economic issue men were seeking again to reestablish the domination of property in southern politics by getting rid of the black labor vote the they would take their first and substantial step by raising the race issue they would secure domination over the white Uh, labor vote and thus the oligarchy that ruled the south before the war would be in part restored to power it would of course lack capital but the north stood ready to furnish capital if profit could be obtained and it was being made more and more clear that this furnishing of capital far from being contingent upon universal suffrage in the south could be more and more could be made more available even if the black labor vote was disenfranchised completely and the white labor directed in the south was the same methods that was dominating in the north we go to a ralph waldo emerson quote at the end of the chapter tis not in the high stars alone nor in the cups of budding flowers nor in the red beast's mellow tone nor in the bow that smiles and showers, but in the mud and scum of things, there always, always something sings. We have reached the end of a chapter, but uh, if you're looking at your timer, you know it's only twenty minutes in, and you know we are going to be uh, pressing forward.
1: Yeah. David, what are your very,
0: takeaways? I I would say I mean a big thing. It's obviously you
1: know there were there were eight years of. And there were Republican um, rule where, where black people had the majority and they, they had their vote and they had the state legislature and it was very productive. I mean, that's how South Carolina got public schools. You know, that's how yeah. South Carolina um, – I mean, you just heard about the how they reformed their debt. And then you see the same issues that there are today, right? There's aggrieved white wealthy people that are still more powerful uh, Than the working, largely black uh, working class population, but they don't have the power they used to, and all they can think about is 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 taking it back, and um and these aggrieved people are dirty, they're ruthless, uh they lean into violence. I mentioned the Ku Klux Klan, and they do everything they can to, re- to leverage the property they still have um, as a artifact of the social order that the, the way the social order was set up before. And they're looking to leverage that. And of course that's, that's the way it still works now, right? You leverage property, you, you hold power and you hold power, but you don't feel powerful enough over the working class, large black working class. You mostly, mostly totally white uh, property holding class is going to feel aggrieved and it's going to come after you.
0: Yep. And it's interesting because, again, you can tell how little we we don't read ahead in these books intentionally, nope. almost to a point. But um, when when you get to chapter eleven, the black proletariat in Mississippi and Louisiana is Doctor Du Bois going to go through every black proletariat in every southern state? I don't know.
1: I don't know. I don't know. I, mean, I won't know. I can't know. It is because it I is in fact black Reconstruction in America.
0: These are all sorts of facts that we really need to do. Um, but that being said, chapter 11 is the black proletariat in Mississippi and Louisiana. How in two other States with black majorities and franchise labor led by educated men and groups of their own blood sought. So to guide the state as to rise, the raise the worker to comfort and safety and failed before land monopoly the new power of imported capital and organized force and fraud. Mm. David,
1: that, Yes. Um, Mississippi has been called a peculiarity. Typical state A peculiarly <laughs> peculiarly. God, we cannot talk at all today. Can we?
0: <laughs> we can't talk. And that's we're bad at talking. I apologize.
1: Yeah. yeah it's important to reading, but we're just bad at it. You'll, you'll live with it. We're just um, not good at it. Yeah. But anyway, Mississippi had been called a peculiarly typical state in which to study reconstruction, but this should be modified. In direct contrast to South Carolina, Mississippi was the place where, first and last, Negroes were largely deprived of any opportunity for land ownership. The great black belt plantations on the Mississippi had hardly been disturbed by war. The barons ruling there, who had dictated the policy of the state, were to the last degree reactionary because they entirely misconceived the results of the war. Gee, I wonder why. (laughs) They were determined not to recognize even the abolition of slavery, and as for establishing peasant proprietors on their land for granting even civil rights, they were adamant to the proposition of political rights for Negroes, they simply would not listen for a moment. So, basically, you got your ass kicked in the war, but your property didn't get blown up, and so you just don't care. I won. You didn't destroy my plantation. Um, Mississippi was, in all respects, a curious state. It was the center of the commercialized cotton kingdom. The graciousness and ease of the plantation system had scarcely taken root there. Mississippi plantations were designed to raise a profitable cotton crop and not to entertain visitors. Here and there, the more pretentious slave manner flourished, but on the whole, the level of the state in civilization and culture was distinctly below that of Virginia and South Carolina, and smacked more of undisciplined frontier. In this state, there were in 1860, 353,000 white people and 437,000 Negroes, of whom less than 1,000 were free. Jesus Christ. Oh, it's 1860. That... (laughs) yeah i mean still jesus christ but like i take it after the war, I'm Like, I how mean, the fuck did they do that yeah uh sorry just jumping back in time and threw me up uh the population had only been a few thousand at the beginning of the century and small in 1820 then from 1840 on the cotton kingdom spread over mississippi greatly increasing its population the result was that after the war, there was in the state a group of planters whose great plantations dominated the rich black belt. From Memphis to the Gulf were succession of co- counties with 60% or more black population, while on the poor lands of the Northeast and the Southeast were the poor whites. Planters had always dominated the state in its political and economic aspects, And it was suddenly required after the war that this state should not only assimilate a voting population of nearly 450,000 former slaves, but also that the mass of poor whites should have a political, political significance, which they had never had before. It was a project at which Mississippi quailed. I don't know. What Mm -hmm. sound does a quail make?
0: No quails, quails. You shot in the face by Dick Cheney. Ah, okay, okay, okay.
1: Uh, Sterling Price prayed to God that my fears of the future and of the South may never be realized. But when the right is given to the Negro to bring suit, testify before the courts, and vote in elections, you had better be in Mexico. Jesus fucking Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mississippi had a bad financial reputation long before the Civil War. Reconstruction actually improved this. In 1839, less than one-tenth of the money collected from fines and forfeitures by the sheriffs and the clerks throughout the state had ever reached the treasury. In 1840, the Senate Journal had names of 26 tax collectors who were defaulters to an average amount of $1,000 each. In 1858, the auditor of the state was defaulter for $54,000. The endowment of Jefferson College, valued at $248,000, disappeared without record, and the college had to be closed. The money realized from the 16th Section Fund donated to the schools by the Congress of the United States was lost or embezzled to the amount of $1.5 million. The Mississippi Union Bank sold bonds to the amount of $5 million and later repudiated the debt. The effect of war on property in the state was marked. The assessed valuation of Mississippi property in 1860 was over $500 million. Subtracting $218 million as the value of the slaves, we have $291 million. This was reduced in 1870 to $177 million. The whole industrial system was upset, and the cotton crop, which was 1.2 million bales in 1860, in 1870, only 550 65,000 bales.
0: Jesus. Na- Naturally... These planter capitalists proposed to protect themselves from further loss by dominating the labor of the, their former slaves and getting their work as cheaply as possible with the least outlay of capital and selling their crops at prevailing high prices. And, William and that's, L.
1: of course they, they did. You know, I was like, we can't oh, work course. you for free. So we're going to work you as much as possible for as little money as possible.
0: The only other way to do it. William L. Sharkey, former chief justice of the state, was appointed provisional governor June 15, 1865, and the state held a constitutional convention the same year, the first to be held in the South under the Johnson plan. The governor complained that there was an unprecedented amount of lawlessness in the state. The convention consisted of 100 delegates, most of them representing former Whigs, largely opposed to the secession of 1861. This convention recognized slavery as abolished, but did not wish to assume responsibility for whatever honor there may be in abolishing it. That's interesting. Yeah. Only in that I wish I could like, I wish I could take credit for a thing, but then also not have to take responsibility for a thing. Yeah. It's interesting. An ordinance, therefore, was passed declaring that slavery had been abolished by the United States and that there hereafter it should not exist in the state. Further concessions to the Negro were fought. The Negroes of the state met October 7th and protested to Congress, expressing fear that lest they be re-enslaved, President Johnson wrote to Governor Sharkey, suggesting that Negroes of educational and property of education and property be given the right to vote so as to forestall the radicals in the North. Johnson pointed out that such a grant would completely disarm the adversary, the radical Republicans in Congress. The suggestion did not receive any attention. whatsoever whatever from the convention. It is highly probable that the unanimous sentiment from the convention was against the idea of political rights for the Negro in any form, but a whole arsenal of reasons against enfranchisement was already pres- prepared most of them started from the assumption of a general negro franchise and consequent negro domination the intelligent freedman was considered but a drop in the bucket and how
1: dare how dare a majority of population and or the most downtrodden be dominant like fuck just
0: yeah it was argued that this is a white man's government and that in the sight of God, in the light of reason, a Negro suffrage was impossible. The real fight in the convention was on the subsidiary question as to whether Negro testimony would be allowed in court. And it was on this question that the campaign for electing a governor and legislature turned. It was remarkable that throughout the South, far from envisioning Negro suffrage for a moment, the states fought first to see how few civil rights must be granted Negroes. And the gradually boiled down to the momentous question as to whether a Negro could be allowed to testify against a white man in court. And I just, oh, please, this
1: as an allegory for all of American government, right? is these guys are supposed to be already accepting the vote and then integrating black people into the system. This is supposed to be a democratic system where black people have the majority. And not only do they not even in fight for the civil right, but the entire election, so they, they get down to the super white supremacist, okay, can we even testify in court? Super narrow margin. And then the entire election is about that. And it just makes me think of the political parties, right? But we should be combating racism, where we should be taking down this capitalist structure. And there's not even... Even upholding the subtler colonial structure that we have to get rid of and the whole reason for this stuff to exist, there's not even a, like a left-leaning party, right? There's two parties that are like, okay, we love imperialism. Okay, we love corporations. Okay, we're cutting taxes. And then stuff like the minimum wage, they quabble over, and that's all the difference in the world. And so now, all the difference in the world, the same thing, the super narrow window of what should be taken care of of what should be left and right is just can they even testify?
0: Can they even testify against a white person?
1: Yeah, but okay. Important detail. Yes.
0: (laughs) The election took place October 2nd, 1865 and Humphreys, a general in the Confederate army was Mm -hmm. elected governor by the party opposed to letting Negroes testify in court, which also secured a majority of the members of the legislature. This defeated Sharkey's candidacy for the United States Senate, United States Senate, Humphreys had received no pardon from the president when elected, but received one afterward. Sharkey notified the president that a governor and legislature had been elected, but the president made him retain his powers and warned him that the legislature must accept the 13th amendment and a code for the protection of Negroes. There was a continued friction between the military and civil authorities, and the president allowed the writ of habeas corpus to remain suspended. Anarchy must in any case be prevented. The presence of Negro troops in the state caused bitter complaint. On January 5th, 1866, there was 8,784 Negro troops and 338 Negro officers. The president promised to remove them as soon as possible. Sharkey declared that they encouraged the belief among Negroes that the lands were going to be distributed among them. By the 20th of May, 1866, all black troops had been mustered out and removed from Mississippi. The legislature then proceeded to adopt the celebrated Black Code of 1865 and completed the set of Uh, laws by enacting... uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. By all the penal and criminal laws applying to slaves except so far as the mode and manner of trial of punishment has been ordained by law. The North was incensed, and the Chicago Tribune said that the North would convert Mississippi into a frog pond before they will allow any such laws to touch one foot of soil in which the bones of our soldiers sleep. Back of this sentiment was a conviction that Mississippi, whose pop political population for congressional appointment was 600,000 in 1860, would now be increased to 900,000. And this new power was going to be arrayed against northern industry, thrift, and power. The whole reactionary course of Mississippi helped the abolition democracy in the north. General Ord assumed command in Mississippi in March 1867, and on April 15th, he began to register the new electorate, colored and white. Among Ord's appointees was Isaiah T. Montgomery, formerly a slave of Jefferson Davis. He was made a justice of the peace, of all and all the people the to be a slave of, of is two-time Daytona 500
1: champion Jeff Davis.
0: Warren appointed a number of civil officials and was compelled practically to nullify the Black Code by military order. The result of the registration showed the white people of the co- white people that, contrary to their firm and happy belief, the Negro was not becoming extinct. Oh my God, <laughs> Doctor Du Bois. 46,000 white voters registered and 60,000 Negroes. This showed the political situation plainly in 1867. The cotton crop was almost a total failure on account of weather conditions and other reasons Ward issued an order requiring investigation of charges against landholders of driving of freedmen driving off freedmen in order to prevent paying back wages. There was a great deal of theft of cotton and horses. Later, the abundant crop of eighteen sixty-eight induced Mississippi to begin to believe in free labor. At Christmas, eighteen sixty. Yeah, I know. Oh wait
1: wait 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 wait, 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 wait! I might be thinking of free labor separately, differently. I was thinking free labor like slavery, like, but they probably mean free labor like freed from slavery and wage labor.
0: Yeah, I, I, I thought of more like free love. But for land. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's what they mean. So I had it backwards when I said that. I thought so.
0: We all good. At Christmas 1867, there has been widespread rumor of a Negro insurrection due to the idea that land was going to be distributed among them. Humphreys, then governor, issued a proclamation reciting the apprehensions of combinations of conspiracies formed among blacks to seize the lands. Unless Congress should arrange to plan a distribution by January 1st, Ord told General Gillum, commander in the sub-district of Mississippi, that Congress was not going to seize the lands of planters, but that the governor had already plenty of land in Mississippi for freedmen and that they could not settle upon that they could settle on it when they chose to do so. <laughs> just, the election was you guys to- have
1: plenty of land. We, you don't need to take We're our land. You the got land.
0: What are you talking about? The election was set for the first Tuesday in November 1867. Negroes were given representation among the election officials. This brought bitter protest. We hoped the shameful humiliation would be spared our people, at least until the freedmen of Mississippi decided whether they will submit to Negro equality at the ballot box or elsewhere. I love how that's like, unless Mississippi decides, we'll submit to Negro equality. And like like they have a choice in the matter. Yeah. Like, this yeah. is the thing that Mississippi gets to decide. Um Negro equality at the ballot box or elsewhere. General Ord has heretofore exhibited a wisdom in his administration, which has been highly approved by the people. But we doubt not that the lovers of peace throughout the country will condemn the order as injudicious. If not insulting to that race whom God has created superior to the black men, whom no monarch can make his equal. The general commanding cannot surely have forgotten that the Negro has no political rights conferred on him by the state of Mississippi. Although he is given the privilege by a corrupt and fragmentary Congress to cast a ballot in the coming face dignified by the name of the election. And there David, we see the corrupt again. Stop reading this.
1: Yeah, no, know. <laughs> that was probably not fun at all. Um, but there again, you know, we see corruption as, as the pejorative all over again, and we're going to see it over and over and over. Um, white Mississippi fought Reconstruction tenaciously at every step. The legislature stubbornly refused to adopt the 13th Amendment, declaring that they had already abolished slavery and that they would not consent to the second section, which gave Congress the right to enforce freedom. Shall Mississippi ratify by the 13th Amendment? Asked the Wittsburg Herald on November 9th. We answered no. 10,000 times no. Because we are the planters. <laughs> no. Uh, then came the question to who might register and who was to decide on the eligibility of a former confederate. The commanding general, in accordance with Johnson's instructions, declared that the Board of Registrars had no power. He was overruled by General Grant and by the act of Congress of July 19th because suck it, Johnson. Uh, Immediately, Mississippi tried to – (laughs) immediately mississippi tried to bring the matter before the supreme court by seeking to enjoin president johnson from enforcing reconstruction acts the supreme court refused to entertain the case on the ground that it would interfere with a coordinate branch of the government and the performance of his duties where the hell is that supreme court gone to that's (laughs) isn't that the point of the checks and balances though is the opposite of that that's very weird but yeah, no, that is definitely not the case anymore. Now you, you get the Supreme Court justices so that you can just, you know, rip abortion apart. Um, Thereupon, another action was brought by the state of Georgia, which tried to enjoin the Secretary of War, but the court held that it was without jurisdiction. Finally, the celebrated case, Ex parte McArdle, was started on the appeal from a military decision at Vicksburg, but Congress forestalled the case by depriving the court of its jurisdiction in this particular case and others of similar character. There had been a plan for the white people to refrain from voting in 1867. I bet they would call called voter fraud. I bet they would have not voted and called voter fraud and put money on it.
0: No voter fraud. Voter fraud.
1: A plan widespread throughout the other southern states. The idea was that by refraining from taking any part in this convention, the whole thing might go by default and Reconstruction fail. But that seemed to too many too much of a risk, and in its place there came a movement on the part of some of the planters to acquiesce in the situation and to organize and plan the control of the Negro vote. In other words, certain leaders, like the editor of the Jackson Clarion… General Alcorn and Judge Campbell were in favor of recognizing the right of the Negro vote in 1868 and said that the policy of the Democrats would drive the Negroes into the Republican Party. Ex-Senator Brown agreed and many other white leaders. The most advanced Reconstructionist was General Alcorn, who asked if it would not be wise to yield something to black suffrage and then to control the votes in the interests of such an organization of industry and society that they thought best. This was no wild scheme. The Negroes were used to subordination to the great planters. If the planters did not form an alliance with the Negroes, the planters would be threatened by the pretensions of the poor whites and possible leadership of the northern white men, ex-soldiers and investors who were largely represented in the state. It was a matter to consider carefully. In the end of Mississippi... In the end, Mississippi went further along this line than any other southern state and found it easier to do this because of the compulsion and intimidation that could be exercised over the Negro vote on the great plantations of the Black Belt. So, yeah, you know, we'll we'll legalize the black vote and then we'll just control them in more important ways because we're giant planter bullies. So, you know, fuck them. Um, yeah. We're also. Also, we're always in a class war, and the class that has power may try to tell you we're not in a class war, but that's because they're aware of it, and they have solidarity. They have solidarity when they need it, but only, of course, against you. Uh, the so-called Black and Tan Convention made at Jackson, met at Jackson January 9, 1868. It was the first political organization in Mississippi with the colored representatives. There were in all 100 delegates, of whom 17 were colored. Although 32 counties had Negro majorities, there were 29 Native white Republicans and 20 or more Northern Republicans. This was interesting and characteristic. It showed in the first place that the Negroes were not even trying, much less succeeding, in any effort to use their numerical preponderance in order to put themselves in political power. Under the strong economic pressure, the Negro voter designated white men to represent him. The large majority of the members of this ele- convention were by- elected by black voters. 7 or 8 of the colored delegates were ministers. 4 of the northern republicans had lived in the south before the war and 2 had served in the Confederate army. Did what? Why I guess they finally switched sides. They went, "Oh shit, we're on the wrong
0: side." <laughs> <laughs> a, a deathbed confession but for the Confederacy. Hmm. <laughs> I accept Jesus as
1: my Lord and Savior. I'm a northern republican now. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's that. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, It characterizes the times to know that five of the members afterward met violent deaths. That's tragic. Um, Members were paid $10 a day in deprecated scrip worth 65 to 70 cents on the dollar, making their pay about equal to the convention of 1865. During the organization of the convention, it was moved that the word colored be added to the name of each Negro delegate. Thereupon, the Reverend James Lynch, a colored man, afterwards secretary of state, moved to amend that it so the color of each delegate's hair should be added also.
0: (laughs) There was here, as in South Carolina, the same charge against this convention and against succeeding legislatures, that they did not sufficiently represent wealth. They represented poverty and the majority of the members, white, black white and black were not taxpayers. They were represented labor and they were voting and were working as far as they intelligently could. So as to improve their condition and not to increase the profits of the hirers of labor. Some of that wasn't a full on quotation because Dr. Du Bois was elucidating. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: In the convention, the colored people clung to the idea that the government intended to divide the land among them. One of the First acts of the convention was to appoint a committee of five to report what legislation was needed to afford relief and protection to the state and its citizens. This committee reported early in February and found an alarming amount of destitution among the laboring class. They thought that the number of the destitute was at least 30,000 and perhaps 40,000. There was distress and suffering, which in some cases bordered on actual starvation. The commanding general, who was at the time Gillum of Tennessee, sided with the planting interest, refused to cooperate with the convention in this matter and declared that the demand for labor exceeded the supply. In other words, labor must work for food or starve. It was reported that the Negroes were still expecting the distribution of land. Suspension of taxes imposed upon freedmen prior to January 1st, 1868 was demanded and the repudiation of all debts, contracts and judgments incurred or made prior to April 28th, 1865. The commanding general was requested to issue an order directing the restoration of property alleged to have been unlawfully taken from the colored persons on the grounds that the property accumulated by them in the state of slavery belonged to their masters. This the general declined to do. The commanding yeah. general so, was it? Well, oh, yeah, sorry, I you. just I wanted to no no take it. I on. wanted to
1: look a bit of that. So of course there was the the whole like oh well we can't we can't meet your labor demands. So, supply and demand. You know no we don't want your labor that bad. You you you're gonna have to work or starve. And and again you know I mean it's just bullying people because you own the property, right? You own the land which is part of the means of production it's also where you live and since everything's agrarian it's how you make sure you get food whether that is for trade of cotton or or you know if there's any other kind of agrarian food production so the the land is everything you know with the land you control it all and because of that they're just they're they're not going to give black people rights they're going to bully them they're going to hold them down and so they just give them a line line of shit um the commanding general was again requested in a report signed by three colored members. To furnish from the public funds, this means to return slaves sold into Mississippi to their former homes. And Congress was asked to set aside, through the Freedmen's Bureau, one half of the cotton tax collected in the state. They asked the governor of the state to let Negroes share in the donation sent to him for the relief of the destitute. But the governor refused, saying that it was a private gift. Fuck,
0: asshole. Oh, you fucking dick.
1: Yeah. Um, After this preliminary decision, which was afterward criticized as beside the point when in fact it was the main point, the convention turned towards making a new constitution as they had refused to adopt the old. They framed a constitution under which Mississippi lived for 22 years. It did away with property qualifications for offage or suffrage. That's good. It forbade slavery. It provided for a mixed public school system. It forbade race distinctions in the possession or inheritance of property. It prohibited the abridgment of civil rights and travel. And in general, it was a modern instrument based on universal suffrage. So, I mean, 20 years they had that. I don't like how short lived that is, but those are some good improvements. Those are um, all good. Yep. Yes, a minority tried to disenfranchise the mass of ignorant Negroes, and there was considerable quarreling and fighting. Universal suffrage was adopted by a large majority, and on account of that, twelve of the white delegates resigned. Other ordinances forbade property qualifications or education qualification for suffrage. Yeah, I mean they 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 heard they didn't get their way, and they spiked their damn football and they left because uh- they're.
0: Yeah. I'm not playing your game. Goodbye. They,
1: they, they soiled their diapers and they had to go home and change. Um, the civil government ha- under reconstruction increased the powers of the governor and made a more elaborate governmental organization and the function for the state. It provided for a lieutenant governor, a state superintendent of education and numerous other officials. Some of the counties were consolidated to former larger legislative districts Evidently, the success of the planters in controlling the Negro vote alarmed the carpetbaggers and the poor whites, and they determined to suppress the ringleaders of the rebellion far more drastically than was required by the Reconstruction Acts. The convention consequently determined to deny the right to vote and hold office to practically all whites who had anything to do with the rebellion. And thus, the proposed constitution disenfranchised perhaps 20,000 or more of the leading white citizens of the state. And why not? You tried to fight and to leave the country. You were seceding. Um, This has been represented as petty jealousy and desire for vengeance on the part of the carpetbaggers. It was more than this. It was an attempt to end the oligarchy of landlords who still advocated slavery and the rule of wealth. After sitting a 115 days, the convention adjourned and submitted the constitution to the people. These proceedings in this convention had undoubtedly been dominated by the wishes of the northern men and the poor whites with the support of the Negroes. But instead of cementing the alliance, the Negroes were ignored, and when prepar- and preparations were made for the campaign were given little recognition. The chief evidence of this was the failure to nominate Negroes for office, and the real policy beneath this was ignoring the plight of the Negro labor and making the Republican Party chiefly the mouthpiece of a new northern capital. The opposition organized as a Democratic white men's party of Mississippi and declared that the Republicans were trying to degrade the Caucasian race. The provision for a mixed school system particularly came in for widespread criticism. Meantime, Humphreys was removed as governor on account of the opposition of the Reconstruction Acts. General Adalbert Ames appointed acting governor Humphreys, acting governor. Humphreys refused to give up and was removed by the soldiers, but reaction, reaction was not beaten. The vote of the Black Belt was cast largely under the dictation of the landholders and hires of black labor. The result of the election was a surprise. Fifty-six thousand two hundred and thirty-one votes were cast for constitution; sixty-three thousand eight hundred sixty were cast against it. And the Humphreys had been re- and Humphreys had been re-elected governor. So basically, you know, the planters yielded their fucking power because fuck them, they're assholes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, a committee of five from the convention announced that the election had been carried by fraud and intimidation, accompanied by the social prescription and threats to discharge laborers from employment. The Republicans held meetings in various counties declaring that the late election had been the work of terrorism and fraud. On the other hand, the result of the election was to show all parties that a more sincere attempt to recognize the Negro and enable him to vote had been made. The Negroes could not be ignored. Their right to vote meant something. If they were intimidated and coerced by force and economic means, the planters would soon be back in power. Moreover, even in this election, certain leading Negroes, like John R. Lynch, had deliberately voted with the planters, and an alliance of planters and Negroes was not impossible. It would have been an alliance based partly on labor control and partly on understandings consummated between black labor leaders and white landholders. Working out from the old slavery, this might have gradually negotiated an industrial emancipation for the intelligent blacks while using the solid black vote to keep white labor and northern capital subordinate. One group of Negroes recommended, therefore, another constitutional convention they'd wished to cultivate kindly relations with their white friends and declared that they would support capable and honorable men, even if they were former Confederates. Now I think that's a very bad idea, um, but obviously it, it makes sense. You know, you have this large disparate group. They're not going to come to hegemonic decisions, even when those decisions seemingly aren't in their interest, because they're going to have different ideas of what those interests are or different personal interests within it.
0: And more importantly, We've got to the end of this week's uh, reading, guys, because mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, David just kept reading and Nathan couldn't cut him off. Well, you know, that, sometimes I
1: gotta, I gotta take the, the pony and run.
0: <sighs> sometimes you gotta take the pony and run, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stop you because I'm not doing the labor. <laughs> that being said, if you want to uh, email us about the distribution of labor within our podcast, you can do so. It's MarksMadnesspod at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to hit us up on Twitter about our distribution of labor, you can do so. It's at Marx Pod on Twitter. And let's say you want to jump in a Discord and uh, and do some, some fun back and forth, uh, you can do so on the Marx Discord. That is at the uh, link to that is in our Twitter bio um, if you need it email us again at marks madness pod on Twitter we are we are easily accessible and you can get that link uh that being said David do you have anything else for this week no I think we got- uh, yeah yeah no it's good cool it's good that being said this has been Mark's Madness pod my name is Nathan my name is David and we will talk to you all next week bye bye, bye.